0: Okay, hey, so uh, hey anybody out there have some kids at home this week, huh? Uh maybe for a few weeks. Uh anybody have cabin fever yet? You know, I think uh, yes, I think a few of us might have that. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of parents did not bargain for homeschooling their kids at this point, really. And uh and I've got to tell you that my wife Linda, when uh, she found out that the kids were gonna be home, the twins were gonna be home, that uh, she was really pretty delighted by that. She really enjoys having the kids at home and and really loved having them there, except maybe for yesterday when I had to talk her back from the, from the ledge. But you know, other than that, you know, really enjoys that. And and the the, the twins are very good, uh, and 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 uh, I enjoy having them there. I try to <laughs> you know lock them out of my study so I can get some work done and things like that. Um, but hey, I got two playmates otherwise. You know, it's great. You know, it hasn't always been that way though. Yeah, you know, there was there was uh, a time you know when they were younger when. Um, you know, Linda, I remember one time she went off to something at the church. I don't, I don't know if it was a meeting or a Bible study or what the thing was. But probably about 45 minutes to an hour after she'd left, I sent her a text message that said something like this. It said, well, uh, uh, oh, the twins have me duct taped to a chair. They left only one finger loose so I could send a text message. When are you coming home? You know, and, and th- 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 it leads me to this, that, you know, what what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of twins with duct tape. I mean, yeah, that's that's what I'm afraid of. So, what do you fear is the question here today. Now, based on the behaviors of a lot of people, based on a lot of things we see in the media, things like that, I'd have to say that it's pretty safe that a lot of people fear the things surrounding this coronavirus, you know, and the things that go along with that. And certainly, there's cause for fear. Fear itself is a good gift from God. It's what keeps people from doing things like stepping off a cliff, or stepping into a bear's cave, or petting a rattlesnake, or something like that. Fear is given to you as a way to protect you, to guard you from harm. The problem is when fear becomes your boss, when it becomes your master, when it rules your life, then it becomes a false god that can lead you astray. So in this time of panic and fear, an important question has to be, what do you do about your fear? Well, it's at times I think that the words of Scripture are very important to take a look at them and see how they might guide and comfort us. Such as the passage from Deuteronomy where it reads, and from Deuteronomy chapter 20, when you go, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For this is important. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. Right now, many of you may feel as though we are up against an army that is greater than us. Satan is certainly trying his level best to throw everything at us, specifically to throw everything at the believers of Jesus Christ, to throw things at his church. I, you know, I can I picture this, you know, conference room in hell where Satan is gathered together with his minions and this brainstorming and how to stop the church of Jesus Christ. So they come up with various ideas and throw them out there, give them a try. You know, things like, well, let's make it a post-Christian culture where the church no longer can have a voice in society and it's no longer popular to go to church. Well, Satan thinks that that means defeat for the church. The Lord has other plans. And in the face of that, the church adapts and becomes more like the early church, where people are there not just simply to see and be seen, as may have happened in previous ages, but rather to find and to worship Jesus. And the church discovers what it means to be evangelists, and God turns defeat into victory. Well, they they reconvene there in a conference room in hell, and they say, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's throw out some crazy, violent people against the church and highly publicize these isolated events against the church so the people are afraid to go to church. They're afraid to meet together. And the church instead develops trained and qualified security teams to keep its people safe. And the people continue to meet together and to seek and to worship Jesus. And God protects them and turns defeat into victory. And then they meet again in the conference room and they say, Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's send out a rapidly spreading pandemic, a virus that no one has ever heard about that comes from a mysterious place and forces the church not to meet anymore. Yes, that will do it. No one will come and no one will give and the church will be yesterday's news. You can just see them wringing their hands with glee. But the church meets anyway, it meets online with virtual worship, and people give anyway. They give electronically and through the mail, and God turns her defeat into victory. So, what do you fear? The people of Judah in the Old Testament had a terrifying foe. Now, if you recall in the Old Testament, what happened after Solomon was that the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem was the capital. And we're talking now about that southern kingdom of Judah, and their terrifying foe was the empire of Assyria. Assyria was the greatest power the world had ever seen. Everyone, everyone who came up against Assyria could not stand against their armies. When those people, the Assyrians conquered a people, the Assyrians removed those people and sent them off to a distant land where they were never heard from again. That that is what they did to Judah's neighbors to the north, the kingdom of Israel. When they conquered Israel, they sent them off and they became the lost tribes of Israel. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know where they went. They were simply lost. Well, the capital of Assyria was the city of Nineveh. And that name might ring a bell to those of you who are familiar with the book of Jonah in the Old Testament because it was to the city of Nineveh that Jonah was sent by God to proclaim God's message. And it was because of this that Jonah rang. He didn't want to share God's message with them because he knew that these were terrible people. And if they would hear God's message, he feared that they would actually believe it and repent. And God, in His mercy and His graciousness, would show them grace and mercy rather than give them what they deserved. So, he ran. Terrible people. Now, why were they so terrible? Well, the Assyrians were brutal people. They would do things like they would skin their enemies alive and hang their, their skin on their walls as trophies. Of their battles and the trophies of conquering these people. They had a military force that no one, no one could match. Technology that a nation, a little nation like Judah, couldn't possibly stand against. So one day, when the people of Jerusalem got up in the morning, finished their breakfast bagels, got out and stood on the walls of Jerusalem, looked out, they were shocked to see the Assyrian army gathered around the city. And they were terrified. And a few commander of the Assyrian army came and he spoke, shouted out to the people who were scattered on the walls of the city of Jerusalem, so that they would be terrified by what they saw and heard. He said this in 2 Kings chapter 18. He said, tell Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah there in Jerusalem, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending, that you rebel against me? Look now, you are depending on Egypt, a splintered reed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. If you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you can just find enough riders to put on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord Himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. The officials from the city knew that such words would demoralize the city. So, so they shouted out to these people who were shouting back at them from, from the Assyrians. And they said, speak to us in Aramaic. We understand Aramaic. Don't speak in Hebrew. Because they they knew that these words would come to the people and they would be demoralized if they understood these words. But the commander of those forces wanted to demoralize the city. That was the plan. So they taunted them all the more. And there seemed to be nothing God's people could do about it. But defeat was certain. The enemy was just too great. Yes, they feared the Assyrians, and they feared them, they feared these people for very good reason. Many would die at the Assyrians' hands. Many others would become slaves. And others would be shipped off to who knows where, never to see this land that was promised to them by God ever again. So when King Hezekiah of Judah heard the words of the Assyrians, in verse 19, he said, He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the, into the temple of the Lord. Now, did you hear that? Where did the king go when he was afraid? He went to church. It was there he would knew he, he knew that he would find the Lord. You mean he didn't go to Costco? No, he went to church. That's where he went. And once there, he sent for a prophet. He sent for the prophet Isaiah. And that is the same Isaiah whose words are recorded in the book that we have by that same name in our Bible, Isaiah. But what good is Isaiah going to do against all of this? The officials of the Assyrians pointed this out. They, they shouted to those in the walls of Jerusalem, Hey, you're going to depend upon this God. Right, right. And what gods of any of the nations that we've come up against have saved them? What makes you think that this God, your God, is going to save you? So verse 5, when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with a sword. But how could this be? How could this be? Why in the world would Assyria or the king of Assyria possibly leave this place where there was such a sure and certain defeat for the people of Judah? But then, things began to happen. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, received a report that the king of Egypt was marching out to fight against him. So he sent word to Hezekiah, saying, I'll be back. And any similarity to Arnold Schwarzenegger was purely coincidental. So Hezekiah, the king of Jerusalem, went and he prayed fervently. He banged against the gates of heaven. Meanwhile, Sennacherib, prepared to leave, promising to come back and destroy the city. But the word of the Lord came to Hezekiah through Isaiah who said this in verse thirty two therefore this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. he will not come before it with field or build a siege ramp against it. for the way that he came he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake, and for the sake of David, my servant. Yes, this is good news, but how in the world could this possibly happen? I mean, this is a horrible, terrifying foe. Well, verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. Yes, but what now about Sennacherib? All he needs to do is go back to his homeland there in Nineveh and gather another army and come back. He said he would come back. Well, 2 Kings verse 37, One day... While he was worshiping in the temple of his god then the Sennacherib's sons Adramalek and Sherezer cut him down with a sword. And he escaped to the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. This, by the way, is documented history. It's not just merely something that appears in the Bible. It's appearing elsewhere as well. This is what happened to Sennacherib. And sure and certain defeat, Was turned to victory. So Satan got another idea. Actually, he got several more ideas, and none of them worked. God kept turning defeat into victory, and and finally, after one last attempt, when he attempted to tempt God's Messiah, Jesus, away from falling through in his faithful mission, Satan got this grand plan. He decided to kill him. Kill him in the most Humiliating way possible so that Jesus, God's Messiah, would be dead and gone and no one would follow him. He'd be buried in a pauper's grave along with hundreds of others and no one would even know where to find him. What better way to do that than by crucifixion? Because after all, in God's law it says that one hung on a tree is cursed by God. How can people possibly follow somebody who's not only dead but cursed? This would be it and certain defeat. So Jesus was executed that day. His disciples ran away. It looked like Satan's plan finally, finally would succeed. This was a pure and certain defeat if there ever was one. But wait. By taking that curse on himself, Jesus took the curse away from us. It had been there since the time of the fall, but since the, the time of Adam and Eve when they first sinned. There was a curse place on humanity that separated them from God because of the sin of Adam and Eve, the sin that humanity continued to live in ever since then. And Jesus took that curse on himself, freeing us from that curse, allowing us to follow him. And the disciples then saw this this symbol that was a symbol of defeat, which was the cross, and saw it now as a symbol of victory. And they made it a symbol of the early church, the symbol of the Christian faith. Now, if you learn anything from all of this, it's this, that God has a way of taking what Satan means for evil and using it for good. Of taking what appears to be a sure and certain defeat and turning it to victory. So who's in charge here anyway. Who gets to say what's a defeat and what's a victory? Is it Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians? No. Is it Pilate and the religious leader who had Jesus crucified? Not a chance. Is it the coronavirus? Are you kidding? It's not even the economy or the media or the mob in Costco. And it certainly, certainly is not fear. It's Jesus. Hear those words one last time from the book of Deuteronomy, where it says this. Today, you're going to go into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted. Don't be afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. He is the God who loves turning defeat into victory. So trust Him. Can you pray with me? Let's pray.